Today on Stick to Football, a lot of updates in the world of college football. What does that look like for top prospects across the Big Ten and Pac-12 with no college football season in the fall? Guys, we're going to talk to Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated, one of the best in the world of college football, the man who broke the news about the Big Ten that I did not want to accept, but uh, was the case. No Big Ten, no Pac-12. I think we're all a little depressed. We're all searching for answers as well. We're going to do our best to get those from Ross while also uh, updating you guys. And we're going to give you our best fits for uh, some of the top prospects who have opted out or a guy like Justin Fields who has been affected by the the decision to shut down college football. Yeah, I, th- I think we have to throw Justin Fields in there. I think he's going to be a really popular name uh, already, but now with the opt-out and him not playing in a fall season, uh, it- it's definitely a name that I'm looking forward to talking a lot about. It just makes a lot of sense, right? I, I mean, when you look at this, if you're a quarterback, and it- it's, you know, speaking of Fields, guys, it kind of reminds me, and maybe, I-, I don't know if I've missed something, it's been really quiet on the Trey Lance front now considering how long that's been going on so I think for this quarterback class besides Trevor Lawrence who I don't think is very polarizing in the NFL's eyes anyway I I think Trey Lance and Fields could have challenged him a little bit in a regular season but it seems like the NFL really really likes Lawrence where he's the projected obvious number one pick but this is going to be very interesting for these other quarterbacks in this class now yeah it is it's going to be and and I don't want to gloss over that the Pac-12 and Big Ten have canceled or the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, We're going to talk to Ross a lot about that. So uh, just stay tuned for the interview because we are going to get into those things. What I'll say for for myself on that was it was definitely like a almost a disbelief. And I know that these conferences are trying to do what they think is right. What's hard for me is that like students can be on campus, but they can't play college football. Like that's that's just the it almost feels hypocritical to me, you know. Like okay, well we can bring all these students to school and make them pay exorbitant amount of money to get a diploma, but we can't play college football. And that's I guess the hardest part for me. And you can look at Major League Baseball as an example of things that have gone well and things that have gone poorly. Um, I, I know there's a lot of people who want to say you guys are rooting against college football. You can read my Twitter for the past three days. I'm rooting as hard as humanly possible for college football. I have no idea what I'll, what I'm going to do all fall just as a human being without it. Uh, it's going to be depressing. Not going to an apple orchard. can tell you that right now. But um, man, it just I hate that stigma of you guys don't want college football. Uh, you know, you want to report the negative. No, not at all. I just want I want like transparency and I want it to be fair. Yeah, and, and you mentioned it too. That's one thing I'm looking for too. It's really weird uh, that even our good friend Paige who works at Bleacher Report was talking about it the other day. Uh, her brother goes to the University of Arizona. He is supposed to be on campus for classes, but the football team can't travel and that's a it's a tough spot for me because if we're going to let these kids go back to campus uh matt we're sending our children back to school uh within the next couple weeks as i'm sure a lot of our listeners are but we're also saying that we can't have college football players traveling i do think that the ncaa has some really deep pockets and they could dig deep in there and find some money to do some testing to do a bubble type situation even if it's just kind of quarantining and putting these players in a dorm and saying you have the top four floors of this dorm room this is where we're going to keep you we really need to stop with any partying or going out with other student athletes or students in general I think that they could have done it but 
They waited too long. They waited until yeah. August to start having these discussions. And I want college football. I was in the denial part. That was my first stage of grief was uh, they're coming out with this now. Twitter's going to get them. We'll get the season back. Uh, it does sound like we are going to have SEC, ACC, and Big 12 football. Uh, but the Big 10 and the Pac-12 moving to the spring, it, it's going to be really weird. And I do wonder if they actually do move to the spring or if this is them kicking the can down the road and not having a season at all. That would not surprise me. And when this came out, I mean, I'm just like everyone else, upset, mad, angry, disappointed, all those feelings. But also, unfortunately, just not surprised. I think it's just a liability issue in their eyes. They're afraid. I think they know, you know, sure, Trevor Lawrence can come out and say, hey, players are going to be more responsible when a season's on the line. I don't know if you could say that about every single college football player in the entire nation right like we said that about baseball and what did the Mar- yeah, like right. the, what did the marlins the do indians. right and those yeah. are adults exactly the indians i mean the cardinals the cardinals still can't play they yeah. still can't play and i'm not trying to just assume but that's what the ncaa is afraid of these conferences are afraid of where it's just a no-win situation right like it's going to be interesting. We're going to probably, I personally do think the SEC and ACC and Big 12, I think they're going to push through. I'm not in the crowd that's like, hey, they're just delaying the inevitable. I think they're going to at least make an attempt to get the season off the ground here. And if it's very successful, if they have a lot of protocols in place and this thing works, it's going to make the Big 10 and Pac-12 look bad because then obviously some conferences did the necessary planning. But I am also still in the party that it's very difficult to pull off, and it just comes down to a liability thing. Because like you said, there's students going back to schools, right? That's happening. So do they care about the safety? I'm not convinced that they care about the safety. I'm convinced they care about being responsible for a potential lack of safety anywhere with athletes. And I'm with you, Connor. I, I do think that we are going to see that those three other Power Five conferences. I think we're going to see them finish the season, and I think they want to. A- another kind of conspiracy theory, almost that was floated out. Matt, you and I have been talking about. Maybe they just don't want to have these big empty stadiums. Maybe they're waiting to push this to the spring because I I'm with you again, Connor. I don't know that it is about health because you're saying let's let all these students return to campus, but not the football team. Maybe it is that they want these full stadiums. And they don't want to lose a lot of revenue that they're going to get. And last time I checked, the Big Ten and the Big House holds about 120,000 people every Saturday. That's a lot of money that you're losing. And if you you push that season to the spring, uh, conspiracy theory again, I think it's more about money than it is student health. Yeah, I would not be surprised. I saw people on Twitter saying, uh, of course, they canceled the season right after tuitions due. Yeah. You know, like you said, with Paige Kuhn, our college football deputy editor, her brother, uh, got to report to school. Oh, but we're not having college football. So sorry about that. Uh, so not only does this affect us, guys, and all of you listeners who you love college football, that's why you're here, but it affects these players a lot. And I think there are three names that sit atop the list of, ooh, this affects the draft pretty big. And that is Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State. Penny Sewell, offensive tackle at Oregon, and Trey Lance, the quarterback at North Dakota State. Now, these players all have kind of different circumstances. Trey Lance, uh, a redshirt sophomore, a one-year starter. So he has he has two years eligibility left where he can go continue to play and and, and still, I think he needed to show more tape. I am I have to be the biggest Trey Lance fan in the world that's not related to him, uh, but he needs more tape. He does. He level of competition and then just being... 
being kind of that guy who, man, you didn't throw a pick last year. Are you that good, or is this like beginner's luck against you're beating up James Madison? No offense to them. You know, like, are you really this good? Where do you have him on your big board? I don't have it in front of me, but I believe third overall. Okay, I have him at three as well. And I do agree with you, though. When you look at him, uh, we really wanted to see some more tape out of him. I loved what I watched last season. And I think that we talked about it late in the spring, too. You put on the tape of Trey Lance. And when we started getting buzz around his name, I just went to YouTube real quick, looked up uh, one of his games. It was the first game that he played in. I thought it was a highlight reel. <laughs> like <laughs> I actually had to start looking at down and distance and being like, what, where are the bad plays here? Where are the incompletions? Where are the overthrows? And I, honest to God's truth, I watched the full game. I got through about one quarter of it. It's like, I don't want to watch the highlight reel. You can't scout watching highlight reels. I need this whole game. So, But I did want to see him put out some more film, see if he could replicate that season that he had, uh, and see what he was going to do against the you know University of Oregon. We won't get that chance now, but you know there are a lot of other players that are going to be affected. I think Justin Fields is a quarterback who's going to be just as affected if he doesn't play in the spring or transfer this fall. Uh, because I do think that he needed to put out a lot more tape, too. I mean, totally. You All you have to do is even look at the numbers right there with Trey Lance. There were nine games where he attempted under 20 pass attempts. I'm not sitting here and saying this is why Trey Lance won't be that good. I think he's awesome, right? Like, I think he's a top-five prospect already. He can run. He can throw deep. He's accurate. He's smart. He's tough. He's every single thing you want in a young player. It's just you kind of look at it and you go, man, would have loved to see another season of this. Can he duplicate that sample size? Is he really this immaculate with the football? And I, I am a believer that he could be the best quarterback in this class. Can I sit here and tell you that I would take him first right now? I still don't think so. I think I would still take Trevor Lawrence before him. But I don't think it's an easy decision. And now, without football for him this year, it becomes that much harder. And I'm with you, too. I think that when you look at Trevor Lawrence, and like you were talking about earlier, he's like the head and shoulders favorite now. I think we were going to have a football season this fall, and we were able to see a Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I think they could compete and get their way up to – there, you know, with Trevor Lawrence, but we're going to see Trevor Lawrence probably for a little bit this fall. I think it's going to be really hard for Trey Lance and Justin Fields to get on that level because they're not going to be able to put out the game tape that Trevor Lawrence is. And I do expect a big season from him once he gets on the football field. I know it's almost sacrilegious to to have complaints about top players, but like you have a complaint about every player, right? There's like never truly been a player where you're like, there's not an issue. With Trevor, with Trevor Lawrence, I do agree. If college football is canceled right now, he will most likely be the number one pick in the 2021 draft. If a quarterback needy team has that pick, right? He would be, he's the guy. There are the fewest question marks. It's there with the body type, the arm, the athleticism. But man, his ball placement is not that no, good. And, and I feel the same way about Justin Fields. Like, I've watched them, I've watched every throw they made in 2019. And there are a lot of times with both of them, I'm like, buddy, that's a little squirrely. Like, that ball got away from you. And I think with Trey Lance, the reason I like him so much is, yes, it's a lower level of competition. But, like, to me, ball placement transcends competition. And I don't have any questions about his ball placement. In fact, my comp for Trey Lance, and you guys might laugh at this, is Deshaun Watson. Like, the, no, I, I just, that. that athleticism, the body, the arm, the just the way he takes over games. And, Connor, you're right. The, I would love to see him play more and have some games where he really, you know, ripped it and threw 30 or 40 times. 
They don't have to. They're too damn good. Well, That's, yeah, a he lot needed of those to play games, Oregon. They're blowouts. They're, yeah. So like he's throwing the ball twelve times, but the score is like forty two to nothing. So, but it is. It's a question mark. It's not really a negative, right? But it's man, I want to see what he can do with the other two. With Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, my question mark is something that I've seen negative on tape. With Trey Lance, the question mark is something that we haven't seen. His question right. mark is that there's not a negative on tape. So you're, you know, you go to the man, maybe he's just playing some really bad defenses, which is why that week one game against Oregon being canceled is so deflating because that was going to answer a lot of questions. We talked about it on the Tuesday show. That's probably the best secondary in football with a premier pass rusher. Now we don't get to see him against them. Now, speaking of Oregon, Penny Sewell. I believe is a consensus top five player. I know there are some uh, people out there who don't see it, but I personally do. I'm a huge Penny Sewell fan, and the Pac-12 is canceled. He's not going to be able to play college football. To me, Penny is the exact opposite of a Justin Fields or Trey Lance. He doesn't have anything left to prove. Uh, just show up at the combine, buddy, and you're going to be the first tackle drafted. Yeah, he's got to be a top five pick like going into the spring next year. Uh, I feel very confident, and I don't think that he needed to put any more tape out. I think that even in a regular year, this is a tackle that we could have been talking about. Like, you don't need to play your junior year. You can just go ahead and sit out anyway. You can opt out of this season. Uh, but we won't get to see him. Not his decision, but I do think that he is... Uh, the best tackle prospect I've ever scouted and one of the best that we've seen ever. A phenomenal player. I mean, really everything you want, right? Listed 6'6", 330, strong, athletic, phenomenal feet, really, really good hands. Uh, he's just very, very tough. It feels like, you know, he's kind of the dude out there on the field. And you just, you don't say that about offensive linemen often. I feel like there was a lot of games last year where, you know, because of some of the teams they played and the team he was on. But Makai Becton was like the dude on the field. You like to watch him just bulldoze people. I think Lyle Collins was that guy for a bit in college because he was just getting out in front and destroying people. I think Sewell has a lot of those characteristics, but I also think he's a very, very smart, savvy, and smooth pass protector. Just a safe, safe player. So I look at Sewell, if I don't ever see another snap of him in college... I mean, right now, guys, I think he's the best player in the draft. I don't know how you feel. I have him as the number one overall player. I have him over all the quarterbacks. You know, I, there's steps I want to see from Trevor Lawrence this year and Justin Fields. Uh, you know, obviously, we might not get to see that with Fields. We might get to see it with Lawrence. But like Matt alluded to earlier, with Trevor Lawrence right now, you know, some of the accuracy issues, him and Fields looked a little closer to the Justin Herbert uh, spectrum than the Joe Burrow one, right? Where you're looking at it yeah. and you go, man, all the talent in the world. Now, I think both of those guys are a little tougher and a little more hard-nosed than Herbert, which I like, but I think in terms of just the accuracy issues, it's definitely something that you were looking forward to them cleaning up this year. With Sewell, I just don't have anything written down that I wanted to see this year. I know what he is. He's a franchise left tackle, and he's going to be a damn good one, and he should go top three. Yeah, I have him at two overall. I have him at two overall. And oh, I'm sorry. I have him at four. My bad. Four. I have him up there at two, but the reason why he's two and not one for me is because positional value. I have Trevor Lawrence That's number fair. one. And I, I pretty much have him tied, but I think that quarterback probably is safer bet to be drafted first. But I, I really do. I love Penny Sewell and think he could easily be the number one overall choice. I know a lot of people want to say Trevor Lawrence is for sure. He's the lock at number one. He's not. He is not. No. Uh, there no. are... Uh, probably 12 teams out there that could be in a position to draft first overall, and they are not going to take a quarterback. 
And they're going to look at, you know, a Penny Sewell and say, ooh, we can play you on the left. We'll move our left tackle to the right. We'll move him to guard. Like if the Bengals have the first pick. Yeah, they're not taking. They're moving Jonah Williams to right tackle, and they're drafted or Penny guard. Sewell. Like, yeah. And they're going to be set for foreseeable future. That would actually be a perfect fit for Penny Sewell is go there and protect Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow would be very happy with that. Something we're going to talk about in a future segment. Now, I do want to do something we've never done on this show before, guys. And that is look at someone else's mock draft and talk about it. We don't do this. but And I don't know which of you actually put this in the rundown today. I like this idea. And it's not to like rip anyone else's work. It's just to talk about it, to discuss it. Uh, Todd McShay released a way-too-early mock draft. And it's it's good. I mean, it, Jacksonville takes Trevor Lawrence first overall. Hard to argue with that. <laughs> I love the way you said that. It's, it's yeah. good. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I don't read a lot of other people's work. So it's like, oh, this is kind of fun. Um, here's the first thing that made me be like, whoa. Well, am I way off on this guy compared to where the NFL is, or is it just silly season still? He has Washington taking Patrick Sertan number two overall. I like Patrick Fellas, Sertan. I thought I was leading the Patrick Sertan. You are hype. not. I am not. I just took a back seat to Todd McShay. I have him as the third best corner. See, I have him as the second best corner. Not it, player. I have him number 11 overall. I really like his physicality, his size. Uh, I've been talking about this dude since he was a true freshman at Alabama. I I haven't done a mock draft yet this year. No way in hell I would have put him at two. I'm not like trying to shit on Todd and be like, look at this idiot. He took him number no, two. No, yeah. uh, But it is interesting to see, and I like this practice too. It was me that put it in the rundown. I like looking at other guys' work and, and kind of picking it apart. What are they seeing versus what we're seeing? I like Sertan. I think that he could come out of this class as the number one corner. I don't know that I could see a corner going number two overall. Not with Penny Sewell on the I board. believe that would be the highest the corner's ever been drafted. Matt, who, who, did, who uh, took him? Who was number two? No. Washington, Washington, which makes sense, like because that's Alabama North, you know. So <laughs> you know what makes a little sense, yeah. Todd. Todd, Todd, Todd. <laughs> okay, I maybe I see it now. Uh, and I will say, like McShay's one of the nicest human beings in the world. Love the guy. Uh, that one is a surprise. Um, Penny Sewell going third to the Bengals. That makes sense. Justin Fields fourth to Carolina makes a lot of sense. Jamar Chase five to the Dolphins. I like that one a lot. Micah Parsons, six to the Giants. I'm not going to read every pick because you do have to pay for this. I feel like that would be rude to just, hey, here, it's free on stick football. <laughs> yep. um, so we're not going to do that. A lot of receivers early. How about this one, Mello? Sam Cosme going 12 overall to the Denver Broncos. Ooh. Texas left tackle. That would break the streak of no first-round picks for Texas. I mean, there for a while, we were just trying to get guys drafted. I yeah. like Sam Cosme <laughs> a lot. I think that he's a big athletic tackle, uh, and I like this spot for him. I do think that he's going to be tackle two. Now, there's a huge drop-off after tackle one, but I like Sam Cosme, and I think that he can establish himself as the second best tackle in this class. I know it's a very deep class, but the way that he moves, the way that he's protected Sam Ellinger for you know his career so far, and he's going to get more tape. The t Texas Longhorns are going to play football this year. I don't know if our listeners follow them on Instagram or social media like I do, but these guys are out there at practice every day. They want to have a season. Sam Cosme is going to be able to put up some really good film, I, I, and he's not going to give up many sacks at all. One, I would like to say I like Cosme a lot. I want to get that out of the way. Number two, I have a question for you guys, and this might piss some people off, but it's got to be asked. If Washington's <laughs> picking number two, aren't they taking a quarterback? Yes, so, yep. yeah, I kind of agree with that, too. <laughs> Think about how and bad I, you have to be to be picking number two. Right. You're going to have to win two or three games 
And if they do that, the quarterback situation's not good. And I honestly, I think it's pretty shaky already. I think that if in a normal offseason, we might have seen them replace their quarterback after one year. Uh, they didn't do that. I do think Dwayne Haskins is on very thin ice. I mean, they're Washington. talking about Alex Smith maybe winning that job. And that could just be talk, which would, would be the it. greatest comeback maybe in NFL <laughs> history. Uh, but no, I agree with you, Connor. And if if that is the case, then you have a bad quarterback situation and you're replacing him. And so they have Justin. He has Justin Fields going four to Carolina. And then he has Trey Lance going 14 to the Chicago bears No shot. No way he lasts that long. Uh, and I know like it's hard to find quarterback landing spots early in the season sometimes. But again, if teams like, you know, if the, if the giants are at six, if the Washington team is at two, then you're probably thinking about replacing those. And quarterbacks. I can't yeah, ahead, the Connor. Jets are in the top. If the Jets are in the top five, it has to be a conversation. And I love Sam Darnold. Yeah. And I want to see Sam Darnold get a shot. But I'm just saying what I just said for Washington, I would say the same thing for my team. I'd say it for almost any team that's not the Bengals, the Chargers. You know what I mean? Can oh, I just yeah, say I that agree. I hope it's my team because I would love to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo and get but Trey Lance. It, Please, it's God. another situation, though, where like you guys would have to be drafting very high, which means you're winning two or three games. Okay. I like With that San Francisco defense, that's not going to happen for Mello, you. Your me team's going to have Aaron Rodgers. Matt. That's my... <laughs> that's so, my. Uh, we... Yeah. You know, Melo and I do local radio, and that's one thing I've been now saying is, like, I'm going to do a full 180 on Aaron Rodgers when he's Absolutely. the quarterback of the Niners. Can't wait. I'm already convinced it's happening. Uh, so one thing that stands out to me otherwise on this, guys, eight wide receivers drafted in the first round in Todd McShay's early mock draft. That's a lot. And we're on a run, guys, of historic wide receiver classes. Eight in the first round is a is definitely a lot. It is. This is a very good receiver class, though. Uh, like I'm looking at my big board. I've, I've got a lot on there, too. And I know last year was a special receiver class. I do think that this one could be deeper. I don't know if the top end talent is going to be better than, you know, what we saw with Judy and uh, those three guys rugs. Jamar Chase is going to be drafted very high. Uh, he's probably going to go like in Shea's draft five overall. Receivers are going to start shooting off the board and you can play three or four receivers on the field at the same time. So it's not like, oh man, we have two really good receivers. Let's pass on this guy and go get somebody else. I really think that we could see a record year for receiver this year. Six receivers drafted in the first round last year. Think about that. Eight yep. potentially eight, next year. Eight would still surprise me only because Justin Ross got hurt. Yeah. When I look at this, I actually do, though, have a theory. I guess I agree with McShay. I think there'll be a earlier reach or run on receivers this year because the uncertainty of, you know, tape. I think a lot of young receivers play, right? Like, yep. I have really good Jalen Waddle tape yeah, for, as an seen underclassman. Yeah. I've already seen it. I, I don't... I find in college, and there might be numbers that prove me wrong, but at least with the big programs... You don't see a lot of freshman left tackles play. You just don't see it. You know what I mean? It's not the most common thing. Yeah, they'll play see guard or they'll play right tackle for that sure, freshman exactly. year and then kick over. Exactly. A lot of sophomore freshman wide receivers are out there scoring touchdowns to win games every year. One more thing before we get Ross Dellinger on the phone with us, guys. Uh, there's maybe a mobile bubble coming. Uh, Jim Nagy is actually going to join us on the Tuesday morning show, so we get to ask him about this. But a mobile bubble... I don't want my bubble to include Veets. If we have to do a mobile bubble... It's going to have to be at draft picks, right? It's going to have to be at draft picks. Yeah. <laughs> you got three bars right there in one. So there's plenty of room. 
if especially if it's like the whole bubble because there's that Mexican joint across the street. There's the Oyster House. We like, just shut down downtown. Dolphin Street is our bubble. Stick to football bubble in Mobile. I'm here for it. Although like, I love Mobile. I cannot think of many places I would least rather be in a bubble than Mobile, Alabama. The it's, weather's just it's a really much good for, me. for one week in January. I can't do the humidity. Right. Like it, there is a lot of talk about what's going to happen with the spring. When are we going to see the, you know, the senior bowl, the combine, the draft. I, I hope that we still see all those things early because I do not want to go to mobile anytime after March and watch oh, like sitting out there. I'm not trying to shit on mobile, Alabama. No, I've, just the I've Gulf Coast. enjoyed my time there. <laughs> I don't want to go to a football practice when it's 85 and humid. Uh, I like going when it's 55 and beautiful. Same here. Don't need to be there when it's hot. Okay, let's take a break. We'll get somebody who covers the Gulf Coast better than anyone. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated on. And then our best fits for some of the top players affected by the shutdown. We are very lucky to be joined this morning by Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. Now, Ross, we go back to your days covering the LSU Tigers and talking about Leonard Fournette. So uh, you know the college football landscape as well as anyone. And I think that has shown up in the last 10 days where you have been crushing it way early on a lot of the breaking news regarding the Big Ten, the Pac-12. Um, so thank you for coming on, first and foremost. Uh, how depressing is it to be the guy telling everyone college football is being canceled? <laughs> it's, uh, it's no fun. Uh, it's especially no fun when they think you're the one canceling it. <laughs> right. oh, God. In fact, I'm, I mean, you know, it's... it's uh, what 10 a.m. on uh, Thursday right now, and I mean, I already need a drink. Uh, I mean, the mentions <laughs> are just full of you know why you keep writing negative stuff, why is everything biased, and it's still happening despite four of ten conferences shutting down. They still think that it's some biased or whatever reporting that it's it's not real reporting. It, it that has been the most frustrating thing in the world. Well, Ross, you're in the right spot, buddy, because if you want to crack open a drink here at 10 o'clock on Thursday morning, <laughs> like, I'll join you, man, if you want to. <laughs> I'm close. <laughs> Honestly, what, Ross, like, what is, from the people you've talked to, how divided are the feelings towards this? Like, is it one day you'll talk to a, a coach or a school staffer or anyone from the governing body of the conferences and they'll be like, man, we can't get through this. And then somebody else will be like, hey, I want to play. Is it really, really divided across the board? Uh, I think it is. It's divided um, along certain lines. You can, you know, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to pull up a map of the, of the areas that have uh, in college football that have shut down in the areas that are still trying to play. You know, it's, it's a regionalized, politicized issue pretty clearly. Uh, there's political pressure out west, uh, you know, certainly to, to not play football and, and not um, have practices and games that would be potentially publicly opposing um, federal or, or I guess just say state regulations and things like that. So that's frustrating. Uh, for those guys, I know, but it, it is, it's a regionalized issue. And you look at the Southeast and they're, they're getting the, the opposite of political uh, pressure, right? They're, they're politicians and, and people in charge are saying, play, 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 please, you know, try to play football. So it, it is, it, you know, we always talk about having a college football commissioner that oversees everyone. Well, that's tough to do, and his job would be incredibly difficult, just like Mark Emmett's job is, because 
you have so uh, varying different opinions because college football is so spread out over such a large area. And, and that's what we're seeing. The pandemic has just really like shined a light on that. Now, Ross, what the fuck happened in the last week, basically? Because and maybe it is political pressure. Maybe that's the answer. But like a week ago, the Big Ten's releasing a schedule and like they're getting people hyped. And then this week they vote to postpone the season uh, i think we're all skeptical that it's actually a postponement not a cancellation but i mean we see scott frost and ryan day and people at the you know the blue blood programs in the big 10 being like no we want to play and yet they're not and there's really to my knowledge no way for them to play fall football so is there a an easy answer on what changed and what happened in the last week that's what everybody wants to know, right? I, I feel like I've been on so many shows the last day and a half, and, and that's the, the big question is what's the difference? What's happened since just six, seven days ago when they released their schedule? Here's the thing. I think this has been building for several days. And so I don't think there's anything that, you know, poof happened over the weekend. I, I think it's been building for a little while that the, the Big Ten was very much on edge of not playing the football season. And it, it, the latest or last straw is something we wrote about Sunday morning, and it's the um, heart issues, the long-term heart and other long-term potential issues that come with the virus. It, it's, uh, and they have a, a word for it that I still, myocarditis, I think it, it, it is. And that's that's kind of been like, you know, there's a lot of factors, obviously, but that's been like the last, that was kind of like the last straw, I think, for a lot of big, big 10 impact 12 officials. So that's the most recent thing to happen because they're just now finding this condition in young, healthy athletes. And that's scary, obviously. I think um, recently the NCAA uh, doctor, Hainline, said that there are at least a dozen cases of this in the nation. Now that's a very small number of college football players. There's 12,000 college football players, but there probably is more than that, but it's still, it is a small number. However, as one of the doctors on that call, I think said one case of myocarditis is m more than what you'd, what you'd want. Um, so, you know, what this boils down to guys is the tolerance of risk. How much risk do you want to take those in the Southeast? Because what we talked about earlier, regionalized political pressure probably want to keep playing. And that's how they feel. Those in the West and in, in part of the Midwest, uh, because of the regionalization again and the policies and political pressure, they don't want to take as much of the risk right now. Um, but overall, you know, this just all seems like we're delaying the inevitable uh, in college football, which is either no season or some kind of partially interrupted season. So with that last statement that you make there, the Big 12 has come out and said they plan to go forward with their season. Do you think that we see these remaining three Power 5 conferences have a football season, or do you think that this is something that will be pushed to spring or canceled? It's more and more beginning to, to feel like we're going to see everybody play or try to play in the spring, which you talk to a lot of administrators, and they'll tell you that spring is almost a non-starter. Um, there are a lot of reasons why, but now, I don't know if we'll get started. It feels like we, we might get started with the season. Uh, we're close enough that, uh, what, three, four weeks from the first game that we might get started completing a season seems like quite a long shot right now. And 
with every day that passes and every quote you hear from a, a medical expert, uh, it just feels like it gets more and more difficult to see the possibility of us actually completing a season. In actually having a spring season, do you think there would be a concern from coaches that you might get some players that, hey, right now they're projected to be early day three, late day two kind of picks. They come out, play three games, have a really, really strong three games, and those kind of guys are just going to leave and start getting ready for the draft because the time between the end of a spring season, a pushback draft, and then NFL training camp is just so tight. Do you think that would be a fear across college football from a competitive standpoint? Yeah, I could I could see that. I mean, there that's one of the many issues with having a spring season. There's just a long list. Play, players obviously leaving and leaving in the middle of the season, leaving before the season starts. Uh, the, some of your best and biggest stars. The whole deal with playing two seasons in a calendar year. The logistics of of just playing football on a campus where you hopefully uh, would have other sports as well going on, like all these other sports, baseball, basketball, potentially all that stuff. TV windows, uh, you know, recruiting. I mean, gosh, there's just an endless uh, amount of reasons. But the one you're talking about when college football isn't quite as um, dependent as the NFL on big name stars, but it still it still has big name stars that people love to watch. And without them, it would just feel like you you're you're not even having a true season um, if you know thirty of the top fifty players leave. Already, we've had opt outs that I think are in the ballpark of around forty. Probably maybe ten of the top thirty or forty have already opted out. Uh, so imagine what you'd have in the spring. And that's what I was going to ask, Ross. Uh, you know, big part of my job and, and every everyone on this podcast job is, you know, getting ready for the NFL draft. And I, I think now we're waiting to see what a Justin Fields does, what Penny Sewell does, you know, top players from the conferences who have shut down. It Not even so much that, okay, well, we're going to see opt-outs from the SEC, ACC, Big 12 if they decide to play, but it's the Justin Fields and, and players like that. Have you heard any indication uh, on your side of things what, kind of those those star power players in college football are going to do because I know we get asked uh, all three of us get asked hourly like hey what what's Justin Fields going to do and and really I don't know and I think the NFL needs to offer some guidance on what these guys could be looking at in terms of the draft process next spring huge points yeah like what happens with all these dates uh you know even uh the like senior bowl and of course the combine and in like you mentioned the draft like you know what happens here how can how can the nfl uh and i know the nfl and college sometimes don't always uh work in lockstep so i wonder if the nfl would uh, give a little bit so college could maybe have some semblance of a season in order to do that they've yeah they've got to work on on pushing back these dates and looking at the eligibility stuff. It's interesting. I, I just wondered, you know, you, Matt, you probably had a better, have a better idea than me because you work uh, with both sides when I just mainly work with college, but it just seems to me that if there's some kind of spring season, I don't know if you guys saw, but um, we had a report and, and I think several other outlets have it is, is Purdue's proposal for a spring season. And it's interesting. It's very detailed and in depth and everything. 
and it, it would get college players done with the season by the time they draft. But the season would go over the combine. It would go over the senior bowl. It would, it would go over all the times that, that kids will visit, visit, uh, 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 facilities, NFL facilities and stuff like that. So there are still big issues with it. As far as teams go, you talk about Purdue. What about the Nebraskas or the Iowas of the world who do want to play football? Uh, Ross, do you think there's any chance we see them play this fall? And then what does that mean for their spring season with the Big Ten? Well, we just, you, you, it's a well-timed question. Uh, Albert Breer, our, our NFL writer, just dropped a story about how a Big Ten plan is, is in the works uh, to play I think it's late fall or something. I haven't read it yet, but it's some kind of plan to uh, to play this fall. There's a few teams that want to do some kind of like pod setup and play in the major cities in like a, a some kind of uh, pod deal, I guess. So they're trying. They're trying. Uh, they're trying to find a way to play in the fall for sure. Um, I, I just I don't see it feasible. You'll be going against your commissioner in your conference. Um, it, it, uh, you know, your, your, all these schools are contracted through the conference and they get conference revenue and all that stuff. And this, this is a really tricky situation. I think, uh, Sportico had a story yesterday about how basically this can't happen. Like you can't break away for one year from your conference, you know, which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean, these because some of these schools, I, I you know, in a way, I, I I understand some of these schools want to play and they think they can play. They're in a different position, you know. It's kind of like the landscape of college football we just talked about. It's regionalized. Well, even within conferences, because of how ridiculous conference spread out conferences have gotten through alignment, there are massive regionalization issues within just a conference. I mean, think about the SEC with Texas A and M and say uh you know kentucky or south carolina i mean they're separated by tons of miles or or maryland in the big 10 separated from nebraska i mean it's just crazy and ross a lot of the chatter has been around you know some of the big guys obviously might are expected to opt out but you might have some middle tier players or players from smaller conferences and a lot of people go well can they transfer here can they transfer there but correct me if I'm wrong here, that doesn't seem very realistic right now, right? Just because of, you know, them not having information with eligibility, not sure if they'll be able to play right away. And on top of the fact that it's just so late in the game to do something like that. It, there, Yeah, there, there are many issues with, with players transferring from uh, schools that want to play in the spring to schools that are planning to play in the fall. Then there are in, with a spring season. I mean, there's just a laundry list of, of issues with that. First of all, as you mentioned, it's so late. A player is going to get there and within, you know, six weeks expected to play a game with his team, which, yeah, it's feasible, but like, you know, it's, it's going to be very difficult, especially for positions where deep knowledge of the playbook would be needed, which is you know, obviously a lot of, a lot of positions, offensive line, quarterback, um, you know, uh, uh, linebacker, I mean, uh, even the defensive backfield. I mean, there, there are a lot of issues there. Uh, so there's that, that number one, just how late it is. Number two, most, and I was talking to some director of ops this morning actually about this, most play, most teams are full. Their rosters are full. They don't have any more. They, they can't take any more. Um, it would count against the initial counter, which is 25. They also have the 85 scholarship limit. They're all full already. Uh, they're entering camp and they, they got full over the, the summer. That's usually how that works. 
And then number three, and we might have some news at some point on this, uh, is the NCAA might not allow it. I mean, they just they might they might not grant waivers basically to do this. So there are a lot of issues there. Ross, one more question for you, buddy, because I know our listeners are just like so badly they want this to happen and you actually have wrote about it a little bit congress seems to maybe be passing some legislation or pressuring some legislation at least that would maybe allow for revenue sharing which all boils down to maybe we would finally get an ncaa football video game again uh what is your read on that situation and as we've like spent 15 minutes just giving people bad news do you have any potential good news with a maybe a, an ea ncaa 14 coming back at some point well, not, yeah, maybe. Uh, so what's happening is, y- y- let me start from the, the beginning. You know, in December, last December, uh, Mark Emmett went up here to D.C. I live in D.C. and he, he came up here and uh, he met with lawmakers and to start the process of pleading with them to create a federal NIL bill that will preempt all these differing state NIL laws. And what he did, and I remember thinking about it at the time, is he opened a can. And when you ask Congress for help, they're going to want something back. It's a scratch my back, scratch yours. And Congress has released, as we were we reported, it's on SI.com now, is a athlete bill of rights. And basically it is it's allowing athletes to enter into group licensing deals, which would be, you know, a, a clothing line where they can do it all together um, in like things like the video game where they can get into and eat, they each get a cut of a check that might be a thousand or two thousand dollars a year could be in the video game and have the video game back. So, yes, it's possible. Uh, that's that's part of of this athlete's bill of rights. However, uh, this is Congress. It is slow moving, um, and it's during a pandemic, so it could be a while. Although uh, certain senators want this athlete's bill of rights to roll over into the NIL bill to basically combine them into one, and they're basically saying, "See, you can't have one without the other." Basically, I don't know if that's going to be the case. In the November elections, are going to have a real uh, outcome on this issue. So basically, I can tell you, this is a bipartisan, NIL is a bipartisan issue, it is. I think all from both sides realize there needs to be athlete compensation in some way. The, the, the differing between Democrats and Republicans is Republicans want a little more restrictions, a more NCAA-friendly bill, uh, NIL bill. Democrats want hardly no restrictions at all and an open market uh, on NIL. And of course, now they want this athlete's bill of rights. So right now, you have a Republican president a Republican Senate in a Democratic House. And those could change after the November elections and could really impact all of this that's going on. The world of college football is just crazy. I, I, I don't know how you keep up with it as well as you do, man, uh, but we definitely appreciate it. And everyone should go follow you on Twitter and uh, read those SI.com articles because I have you like I get the notifications when you write and I'm a smarter person for it. So thank you for your time, man. And uh, and keep crushing it. We appreciate you. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the time. All right, thanks again to our good friend Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. Definitely check out his work. But as advertised, we're going to give you our top fits or our favorite fits 
for some of the players who've opted out and Justin Fields because you can't not include Justin Fields in this situation. So, uh, Mello, let's just start right there. Your fit for Mr. Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State. So I'm going with the Chicago Bears. We talked earlier about teams looking for new quarterbacks. Uh, the Chicago Bears are going to be one of them. I don't think the Mitchell Trubisky is going to be back. They didn't pick up his fifth year. I'm not expecting a big season from Nick Foles. I think with Justin Fields, you pair him. I'm saying maybe Nagy even sticks around, uh, and you look at the type of quarterback that he wants in Mitchell Trubisky. I think he has it in Justin Fields. I think that'd be a great fit. A guy that can move around, that can throw on the run. He's no longer a league where you can just stand back in the pocket and be a statue. Justin Fields, I think, would be a great fit for the Chicago Bears. Hard to disagree there. I definitely think they're a team that, you know, I don't know if they'll be bad enough, but this is a best fit. This is not always the most realistic ones, and that's why I'm going with a team that I don't think they'll be bad enough for them, but you could always move up. I'm going Las Vegas Raiders. I think, you know, Derek Carr has been somewhere in the middle and sometimes a little higher than that, sometimes a little lower than that at times. I think in this John Gruden era, at some point, they are going to look for much more upside, a, a potential top 10 guy, a guy with a big arm, big mobility, and I got fields going here to the Las Vegas Raiders. I think it would be exciting. I think, you know, I definitely think there's going to be some kind of change when they have fans back in that new Vegas stadium, a new era. I've been saying for a while, I wouldn't even be shocked if we see Marcus Mariota play a little bit this year if Carr just isn't getting the job done. And and once again, he hasn't been a bad quarterback. He just feels like he's somewhere in the middle. And I just don't think Gruden will go for that forever. I really don't. And I think this offense would be really exciting with all those game-breaking weapons with a, a, a true exciting franchise quarterback under center. So my thing with the Raiders, too, and I like Derek Carr. And like Matt said, we have our radio show now. I've supported Derek Carr on there. That's a very tough division, and they could lose a lot of football so games. So hard. And if they do, if they go 6-10, and 10, I do think that they're going to start looking at Derek Carr and me. Like, maybe it's just it, it's time for a change. We're going to do a rebuild. We're going to try to get a rookie quarterback, rookie deal, and build around here because Gruden's not going anywhere. No. You know, that, that front office, that head coaching, the, all the coaches – I think they're pretty cemented on staying there. So maybe if they do have a bad year and they they very well could, maybe they are looking to replace a quarterback finally. Good. Also, note. guys, one more note. His dead money charge, Derek Carr, in 2021, $2.5 million. That's couch cushion change. No Nothing. Joke. Even for the Raiders. But now we have to hear about Derek Carr being disrespected in the media again. So my best, us. my best <laughs> fit for Justin Fields is actually the Carolina Panthers. And I don't want to see my guy Teddy go anywhere, but I do think that it's he's probably at the stage of his career that he's going to be a short-term rental quarterback unless he just plays out of his mind. But if I could put Justin Fields in Joe Brady's offense, get out of here. I mean, I, I do think he has some ball placement issues outside the hashes. Again, that could be driven by the knee injury. But his toughness, his mobility, his uh, ability to see the middle of the field, I think in Joe Brady's offense, like, and you could probably put any quarterback from this class in that offense and be excited about it. But I would love to see uh, Justin Fields there. Okay, let's move on to Micah Parsons, one of the best defensive players in the class, if not the best defensive player in the class. Guys, I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they have a gigantic need in the middle of that defense, and they're going to be drafting early enough that this is realistic uh, with what they've done under Zach Taylor. Uh, I'm still not entirely sure what their model is for a player because, like, they, you know, like you signed DJ Reader. Are you going to transition to more of a 3 4? I think the beauty of Micah Parsons is. At 6'3", 245, he can play anywhere. 
Yeah, and I'm going to go with a team that I think really wanted a linebacker last year. Uh, I'm going to go with the New York Giants, and Dave Gettleman's going to get his linebacker. Uh, I think when you look at Joe Judge coming over from New England, they are going to run a lot of different fronts. They're going to get creative with that defense. Like you said, Matt, Micah Parsons fits in anywhere. If you want him to blitz the A-gap from the middle linebacker spot, he does it better than almost anybody. You could put him out on the edge if you wanted to. I think that he would be a great fit, kind of in that high tower mold of a big linebacker that can do a little bit of everything. I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles here. So sticking with the NFC East and another NFC East team that in my eyes uh, really, really needs a linebacker still, a franchise linebacker. Like you said, Melo, this guy does it all. It's impressive how well he is as a blitzer, getting after the quarterback, his speed, uh, IQ, physicality. I mean, we, we just gushed over this guy on the last show with some high praise player comps, Patrick Willis, Luke Keekley. I mean, just on and on of how special this guy is. And the Eagles, when you look at their roster, this is going to be a good football team this year. The one spot that you go, man, they could really use the uh, a help and identity is the middle of the field, really middle linebacker, or even somebody to play outside with Parsons. He could play any linebacker position you ask. So I thought the Eagles were a good fit to trade for Jamal Adams, a player that played over 400 snaps in the box last year. And, and that's why I still think they're a good fit to take the best linebacker, probably the best defender in this class in Micah Parsons. I was waiting for Mello to say the giants because of Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> I was like, don't do it, man. Don't go there. Don't go there. Uh, okay, speaking of a pass rusher, how about Gregory Russo? University of Miami has opted out. Uh, Connor, what fit do you love for the Hurricane? Well, I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals. And I know, Matt, you had them with Parsons. So it's it's a pretty clear that this team is heading in the right direction in their rebuild. But I think that's pretty clear also, if you're listening to the show right now, that they still need help on defense. So you got Joe Burrow. You got T. Higgins. You have a lot of pieces on the offensive side of the ball. This in no ways is a talentless defense. That's not the point. They have some players that corner. Uh, you know, obviously, they, I thought Jesse Bates was a pretty good pick for that secondary. But Carlos Dunlap has really been the guy as their pass rusher. And they did get some sneaky production out of Sam Hubbard last year. Carl Lawson, who you guys know I loved, yep. he just hasn't been able to always stay healthy, as talented as he is. They signed Mike Daniels for the middle of that defense. They signed DJ Reader. So they've spent a lot of money up front. But out of all those names I just said, and I love Carlos Dunlap. He's super underappreciated, but he's getting up there. There's no game-changing pass rush talent. There's a lot of good players in this front but there's no game changer and to me that's what Gregory Rousseau is he's a game changer for the Bengals and honestly with how tough that division is they might be in the top 10 again to get him yeah and I'm gonna go with your team actually for this one Connor I'm going with the New York and I Jets. like it uh, I think they need a guy that can just kind of pin his ears back and get after the quarterback oh, and they you know, do <laughs> he can play in this three four you could put him on the ground you know you he could be a defensive end opposite of a Quentin Williams type or he could be a stand-up rusher wherever they want to put him. They need pass rush help. This is the best pass rusher in the draft. Uh, I think the Jets and the Jets fans would be very happy to get this guy. Yo, I'm going to upset the Jets fans because I'm going to give him to the Miami Dolphins, who uh, they might have to use uh, some of those picks they have from Houston to get up there to get a guy like this, but I, they do need impacts. I know they signed. Like I actually liked what they did in free agency. You bring in you know, a Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Agba. You, know, you get some veteran pass rushers, but... They don't have, and they have not drafted, young edge rushers. And Curtis Weaver, who they got in the fifth round, gigantic question marks there in terms of you know conditioning and, and health, and he was a fifth-round pick. So I don't think you're betting on a guy like that. Russo, just 
Keep him on South Beach, baby. Just let him, like you said, pin those ears back. And in this defense, like you want to give Brian Flores a player like this? Come on. It's not fair. It's not fair. It would be very exciting. Like you said, it would suck for Jets fans and anybody that has to play the Dolphins, though. Yeah, which is, that's fine. We're building good teams. All right, the top corner in the class, Caleb Farley opted out. He was the first player to opt out, first major player at least to opt out. Uh, I'm going to give him to the New York Giants. They missed badly on DeAndre Baker, who's probably going to be doing 10 years in a federal penitentiary. And now you get a 6'2", 200-pound man-to-man shutdown corner. And I, you know, I do like some of the things that the Giants have done. They've had... Uh, if you compare it to a big board, they've had good drafts outside of Daniel Jones. Hopefully they get things turned around, but they need uh, cover corners there. And for my money, Farley's the best in the class. So, I yeah, I really like Farley, too. I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys, though. I, I think they're a team that really needs defensive help. <laughs> they're loaded up on offense for the next uh, five years, I would guess. So they need corners. And this is a big physical corner who maybe goes high in the draft. Matt, you say he's corner one. I have him there too. Uh, But maybe we see him fall later to where maybe the Cowboys are drafting and they can swoop up and get a perfect corner, kind of like Byron Jones that they lost. And now you get this guy on a a cheaper deal, rookie contract. And I think that he has more ball skills. He could probably produce uh, more interceptions than what Jones did. I think we're going to be talking about the Cowboys and the first round cornerbacks, um, you know, obviously in this class or even the second round cornerbacks in this class all year. It's definitely for a very, very good team. It's a spot that you'd like to see them boost up a little bit. I'm going to go with the Indianapolis Colts for Farley. I'd look at Chris Ballard's history. He really doesn't take corners that are under six feet tall. Farley checks that box. He's probably a legitimate six one and a half. A good speed, good ball skills. And I do think being as early as an opt-out coming off a, I believe it was back surgery, I could see even him. We all have him, I think, as the top corner in this class. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, we do. I, I could see him slide to, you know, 15, 16 kind of range. Wouldn't shock me at all. And I think the Colts would be all over this guy for a team that they, they you know, they've taken some swings at corner and it hasn't always worked. They're still going to be taking swings at that position. All right, Mello, let's move on to Rondell Moore, one of the most explosive players in college football. You get to put him on any team in the NFL. Where are you putting Rondell Moore? I'm going with the New England Patriots. I think when you look at Rondell Moore's game, and he's a guy that we broke down a little bit, he's like a rich man's Julian Edelman. He can kill underneath. And he can also take the top off the defense. But that short area quickness, uh, the ability to get the ball in some jet sweeps, I love him as a fit with the New England Patriots. Hopefully, you know, my guys that are already there, Nikhil Harry and Jarrett Stidham, go off. And I do think that he could come in and be that slot receiver that comes in, works underneath with huge yak yards afterwards. And I'm going to go with uh, one of their rivals here, my New York Jets for Rondell Moore. I actually had a really good conversation this week with our old friend Chris Sims. And we're sitting there and we're talking about Sam Darnold. And it's just like, there's nobody on this offense that can catch a ball and break a tackle, make someone miss and go right. Like we know Le'Veon could do that, but Le'Veon's not going to have these big chunk plays. Le'Veon's, you know, kind of more of a grinder right now. Rondell Moore is that guy in this class. Don't care that he's five, nine. Don't care that he got hurt last year. Uh, The guy has all world strength, really good speed. He's super, super tough, really good hands, and he's a game breaker. And Sam Darnold has not had a guy like that. It's good that they got Denzel Mims, get him a jump ball player. Jamison Crowder is a nice player in the slot. Rondell Moore is your game-breaking kind of player. And I know, Matt, you've compared him uh, to Hollywood Brown before. And, you know, 
simply the Jets need somebody like that in their offense. They have two first-round picks. I think Rondell Moore's range is going to be towards the back end of round one. That Seattle pick will come in handy. Yeah, so that's where I have him as well, back in round one. And that's why I'm giving him to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, having a conversation with some of their front office personnel before the 2020 draft, they were really hoping that they could get a speedy wide receiver who would fall to them, someone who could be that for Ryan Tannehill, that catch-and-run type player. They have a very good receiver in A.J. Brown but they do they're still missing that explosive aspect to their offense especially with that kind of ground and pound run game you need a difference maker you need guys who can make those house calls in the return game and on those underneath routes I think Rondale Moore is a perfect fit for that offense like if you get linebackers sucked up to stop Derrick Henry that's going to be wide open on those crossing routes that Rondale Moore is so so good at all right last one here Rashad Bateman one of the best receivers in college football. A little bit of a bigger body than Rondell Moore. Different player. Uh, but Connor, where's your fit for Rashad Bateman? I love this guy. And we're going to get Danny Dimes some help in the middle of the field. I think when you look at Bateman, we've talked about it before. Phenomenal releases, getting off the line of scrimmage, really good routes, really, really strong hands. You look at what the Giants are going to have at, by this point, you know, looking at next offseason they have some good players on this offense. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Darius Slayton, who's been on this show, is somebody that has really, really good speed. Sterling Shepard is the kind of guy that you like in the slot. I just don't see them having this physical presence that dominates at the catch point like Bateman does. And I think when they took a guy like Evan Ingram, they wanted that. And I think he's been good. He's been hurt, though, a lot, a real lot. So when you're looking at... Moving forward with Danny Dimes in this offense, getting them somebody. It's kind of like what the Jets did for Darnold with Mims, where you just have nobody playing above the rim. You got to go find that guy. I really think Bateman is that guy. And I think for the Giants, this might even be able, this might even be a guy that they can get at the top of the second round that would really help their offense. And I'm going to stick right there in the NFC East. Uh, I'm going to go with the Washington football team. I, I think they need another receiver in that offense. Uh, I love Scary Terry, but like we've been talking about, this could be a team that's breaking in a new quarterback, and I want to give them some big targets. I think that Bateman could come in and play opposite of Scary Terry and be a really good one-two punch at receiver. He, you know, he can take those comeback routes, that little quick slant, much like Michael Thomas, and play very good opposite of a guy like scary terry already and if it is Dwayne haskins if he's going to be there for a while you got to start surrounding him with talent and like aging running backs this is not working your defense is loaded uh very good for the future i love terry mclaren kelvin Harmon, trey quinn even but i think that this team really needs another receiver i don't know if terry mclaren is a true number one receiver in this league or if he's going to be a solid number two, and then Bateman could maybe come in and be that number one receiver. Yeah, I like that fit a lot, especially with the slant routes uh, that he's so, so good at. Uh, so I went with a little bit of an outside-the-box team here, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I know like, I really like DJ Chark. They drafted LaVisca Shane Alt in the second round. But I think they're lacking kind of a possession receiver. And we're also going to see like guys like Chris Conley. I don't know how long D.D. Westbrook is for this team. I feel like we could see, and we have seen with Jacksonville, think of all the turnover they've had at this position, at the cornerback position. So looking at this, I think Rashad Bateman, whether it's Gardner Minshew or Trevor Lawrence or Trey Lance throwing the football there next year, they need someone who can win on those physical underneath routes. They were one of my favorite spots for Michael Pittman Jr. Had they drafted a wide receiver uh, a little bit earlier last year. Instead, they get Chenault, who, 
he's kind of that gadget type player. Like what I know we all talked about, like Chenault might be a better running back yeah, than wide receiver, thick. right? Like he's not your X receiver. Like he's not going to go out there and run your comebacks and your slants. It's just not his game right now. So Rashad Bateman in Jacksonville is my uh, ideal landing spot for him. It's realistic anyway. Like if I could give him to Pittsburgh, I would do, do that. Or Philadelphia, I just don't know that he lasts that long on the board. So uh, those are our dream fits. Let us know yours. We always love those five-star reviews on Apple podcasts just to get us past the one-star review of people who currently do not like us for taking a vacation. Let's take a break. We're going to get to your draft (laughs) on draft questions. It's the vacation or something. I don't know what it'll be today. People will find a reason. Let's take a break. Draft on draft is next. All right, draft on draft time. Thank you all for hanging with us. And we're going to kick it off right here. Anthony Mongaluzzo, does Josh Allen have the sauce to lead this talented Bills team to a playoff run and possibly a Super Bowl run this season? I think Josh has the sauce. I don't know if he has the ball placement. I mean, we saw that last year in the playoffs. I mean, he just goes scattershot sometimes. I still can't believe he like pitched that ball. Like Reggie Bush style. I know. Well, there was that one, and there was like a third. Was it the fourth down? The band on the field style. Right, where he just throws the ball like out of the stadium. I I love Josh. I've had a good relationship with him for a long time. Uh, he, he has the things he has to work on. And it's like you love the mentality that he brings and like the physicality to the position. He's a great athlete. He's got a huge arm, but... I think he actually needs a little less sauce, maybe, to lead this team. <laughs> a little bit off. Like, yeah, just a li- cool it a little bit. I think he can make a playoff run. And, I mean, the Bills have won two playoff games in the last couple of years with Sean McDermott there. I think that he's a quarterback that can do it and that could maybe lead a team to a Super Bowl. I just don't think that he's going to be, like, the guy. He's not going to be the Super Bowl MVP of a Bills win. But I do think with this defense, uh, with his mobility, with the coaching staff that they have there, uh, I think the Buffalo Bills are going to be a really good football team. And I do think that Josh Allen is enough to get him to the Super Bowl. But like I said, uh, he's probably not going to be the guy that is responsible for that win. I believe in everything around him, like you guys just said. I, I just really don't believe he's a quarterback that will bring you to a Super Bowl, at least from what I've seen from the last couple of years. I don't I don't believe it. I, I think he's a little reckless with the ball. I think the accuracy issues are you know, still not completely cleaned up. Now, when you look at this division, the Bills should be better than the Dolphins. They should be better than the Jets. I could sit here and tell you if Cam Newton is not healthy, they should be better than the Patriots, still not picking against the Patriots this year. But the Bills should be in the playoffs. The Bills have a defense and a run game where they should finally win a playoff game. But Super Bowl run, It's a lot to ask of any young quarterback, and I just don't think we've seen enough from Allen for me to say that I believe in that right now. It would have to be like an early Ben Roethlisberger. I don't remember if it was his rookie year or second year they won the Super Bowl off the top of my head, but like you know that really young. We're not putting a lot on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. We're gonna run the ball with Jerome Bettis and right those type of guys. Right. So I I like Josh. Hopefully he he's better this year. I do agree. I if they win a Super Bowl, I don't think it will be because of him. No, it'll it'll be somebody on that defense. Like they're gonna win seventeen to fourteen. Right. It, it'll be like when Travis White was has like three. Trey White yeah. is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Jake Carshaw wants to know Joe Burrow is an obvious one, but what prospects have your evaluations changed the most, either positive or negative, based on their final season's tape? The one Jake that comes to mind most for me is Grant Delpit, where having him as a top five player in the summer and then ending up with a round two grade on him, that was a huge drop off for me of just like what I expected versus what he became. On the other side, the first time, I've told this story before, the first time I watched DJ Humphreys, 
I thought he was terrible because I watched like one game and it was just like on a flight and I could find one game and I watched it. It was like, this kid sucks. And then I had a chance to, he got more tape from a source, watched it and was like, okay, I see the athleticism actually. Like, and so he was a player where I had him as like a seventh round grade at first. And then by having more time to evaluate that was able to move him up. And I was going to go with the OU quarterbacks, uh, and not even because of the bias that I have, but uh, I really didn't think that Baker Mayfield was going to be successful in college. I thought that he was a third-round quarterback at best. And then Kyler Murray, uh, I really thought that dude was going to be a baseball player for a long time. And then the height issue uh, with him being around 5'9", I really didn't think that was something that would play in the NFL. Uh, it did, and I kind of came around to it. I had him quarterback two in that class, but he's even I mean, been better than I expected. I think it's an interesting conversation right now, guys, because a lot of people, and I know we've done it too, are sitting here going, you know, not having a season this year would change everything because I look at a guy like Burrow that went from a fourth rounder to top pick. And I do agree with that, but I also think we're getting to the point where it's overstated, right? Like Burrow is an insane outlier, right? Like when you look at Baker, I think that summer, a lot of people were looking at him and going, hey, this guy is probably an early third or second round pick. And, and people liked him more than you know others were led on to believe. And he played his way into being the top pick. And to be honest with you, he hasn't played like the top pick yet. Now, I think this year he, he might. They have a really good team around him. I think we'll see some strides. But he has not lived up to that billing at all. Kyler Murray was arguably the greatest high school quarterback of all time. And like Melo just said, we thought he was playing baseball. Yep. That's all it was. We thought he was playing baseball. He was drafted in the first round by the A's. Sorry, A's fans. And you look at it, and he changed his mind. Kyler Murray was always destined for greatness if he wanted to play football. And it was the perfect mix of the NFL being like, hey, we don't really care that quarterbacks are short anymore. We got Russell Wilson out here dominating. We got Baker Mayfield going number one the year before. So I, I just want to kind of clarify, I think pointing back, and I've been guilty of this, pointing back to Joe Burrow, constantly as as a problem with this year's process it's fair but it is an outlier and i don't think we'll see a lot of joe burrows ever again in college football history no, it's like waiting for the next you know russell wilson or even now we get like who's the next lamar jackson no one like i don't no it's not one he's the most exciting quarterback since michael vick and i think on this show we've all said it lamar's probably better than Michael Vick was. Yeah, I I go or to at that least all the time. he's he's on the trajectory to be better. Yeah, I think he's a much better passer than Vick was. Uh, Jeff Yates said, much like the bubble in the NBA has helped younger teams like the Suns and my guy Devin Booker. Do you think no fans in stadiums could help the younger offenses like Arizona, Denver, as well as rooms for the second year players? So. Jeff, yeah, maybe, man, but I don't know that there's not going to be fans in the stands. You know, uh, here in Missouri, the Chiefs are talking about doing pods, like letting groups of people in if you can like prove they're your family or that you've been socially distancing together. So I, I think that it could help like drown out some of the noise. But I also like I've talked to players who don't want to play without fans because they feed off that adrenaline. I think football is so different that way where that momentum of the crowd it, it does matter. And I know in the NBA, people are going to say it, it matters there too. It, it does to an extent, but I've never seen an NBA player have to quiet the crowd in a key moment. And in football, I mean, the crowd is such a big part of that game. Yeah. And for me, when I look at this and you look at no fans in the stadiums or even just kind of the quarantine, I think it's going to be really beneficial for young players because they're not going to have as many distractions. And I think that's something we're seeing in the bubble is guys aren't going out on a Thursday night, you know, two days before a game or something like that. 
your quarterbacks, your young players are going to be stuck. And hopefully your veteran leadership is going to keep them from going out and having any off-field distractions. Those are going to be really limited this year. So it could give your younger guys a chance. Or, you know, maybe those guys who are a little bit questionable with character, maybe they're going to have less distractions and they can be a more uh, positive influence on the field. The answer here is absolutely. It's absolutely yes. It will have an impact. Uh, Crowd matters to some teams. I know a lot of former players have spoken up about this. I know Chris Long said, you know, he's like, my favorite thing in football was rushing on third downs. And that was because of the crowd in the moment. He goes, I wouldn't even want to play this year without that. So that's how big of an issue or how big of a thing it is on third downs. That'll help young quarterbacks. And something, you know, that Sims was telling me is that some guys are just great practice players and it doesn't translate to the pressure of the moments of the game and the noise. And we might see some of those guys have really weird outlier years, right? Like I've actually heard this uh, from another player about Marcus Mariota before is that Mariota, there'd be weeks of practice where you go, he's going to throw five touchdowns and 400 yards this week because he looks like the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. And then game day comes and unfortunately it just, he just kind of falls apart at times. So the answer is yes, this is going to make a difference this year. It's going to make an impact and it's going to help the most bizarre teams in football. Like Seattle has an edge because of the crowd. Right. But like a lot of like, he's, this is a great point. Arizona, like not hating on Arizona, but like, do you think Arizona is like this awful place to play lately? No, nah, I mean, it's, it's going to help a lot of teams. Yeah. I think it will help more of the, for lack of a better term, like the run and shoot teams, like the teams that are really going to air it out. I just feel like it's going to help them so much more. Like, I don't think the lack of crowd noise is going to help the Tennessee Titans as much as I think it's going to help Arizona and Denver. I mean, being able to communicate with a young quarterback without him having to put his ears over his helmet holes or anything that could be huge. Yeah. Uh, All right. Jake Hawkins, a lot of J's on the questions today. If there's absolutely no college football this fall, what will your Saturdays look like? Any alternative activities? I already said it. No apple orcharding for me. That's not a thing around here, though. No, you know, like I'll probably just be depressed. Um, so no one will want to spend time with me. I don't know what uh, more time with my kids, I guess, more I, hiking, I, things like that. If there are, there's no college football this fall, which hopefully we don't see happen, uh, I would bet large amounts of money. The NFL moves some of their games to Saturdays. There you go. And so yep. even if we don't have college football Saturdays, uh, the NFL smart. They're going to act fast. They're going to move a lot of those games uh, to Saturdays and, and we'll have football Saturday and Sunday, I think. Yeah, it'll be, um, you know, a lot of baseball on Saturdays. The NFL uh, national, you know, primetime games that are moved to Saturdays. Shit, the it, NBA is going until October. Like, <laughs> that's right. I mean, there's going to be so much sports on now, I hope that there's some kind of college football on Saturdays, and I don't want to have to plan for this scenario. Alternate activities is just watch other sports. To yeah. be honest yeah. More sports? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Different football. I That's did joke on Twitter I was going to start a cornhole league, so if anybody wants to get in on that, because uh, you can socially distance while playing cornhole. Oh, yeah. What is like 27 feet? you got to yeah, be a part exactly. of exactly. Uh, R-Dub asked, which player in your current top 20 on your draft board could you just falling into the day two category without having a college football season uh, to improve their status. I looked at my top 20. I think all my guys would be injury related. You know, it's like uh, Caleb Farley coming off. He's had a knee and a back injury. That's a question mark. Dylan Moses uh, not being able to play last year because of injury. That would be one. That's really it. You know, like it's just those injury guys. I don't see a guy where it's like, oh, man, without a chance to play, he's going to hurt his stock. Yeah, like maybe like the running back positions. I could see Chuba 
being a guy who's like, oh, you're a little bit undersized. You're a really good running back for one year, but he's also competing with Travis Etienne and Najee Harris, who have had a couple good years of football, whereas Chuba's only had that one outstanding year. I like Chuba, but I, I do think that he could be a guy that is forced down the board and maybe, I mean, going in the first round anyway as a running back is going to be very difficult. I will to do. say early rankings are pretty safe. Like they're pretty solid. They're the guys that you've seen play a lot. Right. So yeah. like there's not the you're not banking on a lot of hype and projection with an early ranking. No, I mean when you look at it, it I told somebody this the other day. I was like if anything, it's now when a guy opts out, you write the scouting report in the comp and you, you should try to lock it in. Now we always get info where it's like, "Oh, you start flipping things around, you start overthinking." But this year more than ever, you should feel good early about the top 20. Um, and once again, you know, Matt just made the important point. The one thing that can plummet someone, because this happens every year after the combine, is if a top 20 player has a hip fracture at the combine, yep. has, you know, knees that are deteriorating, things like that. You know, I remember with Jay Ajayi, that was a big one. It was like, man, he could be a top 40 pick. And it's like, well, people don't think his knees will hold up in the NFL. He's going to go day three. Yep. So those happen all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, or like failed drug tests. If there's no college football, guys aren't failing tests. You know, I mean, there were players last year like you hear guys like, oh, you failed 10 tests. What? OK, well, <laughs> there aren't any of those this right. year. So um, have fun. Tyler Warden asked, given that this draft will largely be based on projection, do you think teams will look to trade draft capital for 2021 into later years? Should Miami keep trade? Uh, what might be uh, Houston's top 10 pick? He asked. So I think this is an interesting idea, Tyler, and there are probably going to be teams that would like to kick that can down the road to a season where you have more information, uh, a college football season to, you know, to, to watch and to evaluate. I think the harder thing about that is finding someone who wants to do that with you. Like it takes two to tango when it comes to trades. So sure, Bill Belichick would probably love to trade all his picks into the future, but you got to find someone who's willing to do that. And so I think this year we could see like the 2020 draft was already pretty conservative. There weren't a lot of trades. Things went pretty much chalk in the first 20 picks. I think we would see 2021 be like that too, where if there's truly no college football at all before the draft, I wouldn't expect my rankings to change that much, kind of like Connor was just saying, unless it's, you know, it's just getting to guys who I haven't had a chance to watch yet. And that was kind of my point of view too, is we thought there could be a lot of trades for the 2021 draft last year. And then after, I don't even remember how many picks, it's like, oh shit, nobody's trading. Uh, everybody's just kind of hanging tight and doing what they can here. Uh, I don't know if we would see a lot of trade backs. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to look at this class and it early on, I know that, you know, when you look at this class initially, they all look great, but I do think that this is going to be a pretty damn good class. You have more offensive tackles. You have some quarterback talent. You have running backs, receiver. There are a lot of good positions that teams are going to need and that they want to draft early in this draft. So I do think that they're going to take advantage of that and probably stay with those 2021 picks instead of moving to 2022, where you're not going to have film on those guys either. Like a Sam Howell, if he doesn't play this year, you know, if it season gets canceled, it's going to be really tough to get tape on him. And then you have to worry about next year. So I do think we'll see a lot of teams kind of stay with their picks with 2021. It's a great question from Tyler because it's so much strategy involved. And like Melo just highlighted, I actually would would definitely lean of keeping the picks now and avoiding that following year's draft of having all that extra capital because the teams that do have the early capital this year should still feel good about those players. Like you're not really worried about the players you're taking in the top 
35 picks, it, it gets very, very hard on day three, right? Or late day two. That's when you're like, man, I just don't know enough about this guy we're taking a swing on here. But, I mean, if you're a team like Miami, and they have a lot of different options on the table as they retooled this roster, but, like, if you're picking, say, the pick is 10th, like, you, you might be able to get Micah Parsons there. You know what Micah Parsons is. Like, you're not worried about that. Like, you know, there's three good corners. Now, I know Miami already has three good corners, so that's not an example for them. But for a lot of teams, like, we've seen a lot of Sertain. We've seen a lot of Caleb Farley. Sure, we want to see Sean Wade play outside, but I think Sean Wade's going to be pretty damn good. So you look at it, I, you're not worried, in my eyes, about the, the top 40 kind of guys. Yeah, that's how I see it, too. I think this year's just, it's not going to be about the the those hype prospects like a Marcus Davenport who like really you know is oh the athleticism and we're banking on that there might not be a guy like that as much that rises this year but I think the others are set in stone Josh and was that smart like yeah I still don't know if it was to trade two first round picks for that guy it's not looking like it he'd have to have a huge year I think he's been like solid but he hasn't been two first round picks yeah yeah at all so, uh, yeah, he needs to have a, a very, very big year for that to pay off. Josh Collier wants to know, with the Ohio State possibly not playing, is Justin Fields a guaranteed top 10 pick, or will questions about the simplicity of the offense make him fall like Haskins did with only one year of tape? Josh, I think this is a fantastic question. One of the better ones we've been asked since our comeback. I don't know that Justin Fields is a guaranteed top. No, here, let me back that up. He is not a guaranteed top 10 pick. I don't believe that he is. There's questions about the knee injury. There's questions about, like you said, the simplicity of the offense. And with quarterbacks, it's so like easy to become polarized where if two or three teams like don't like the offense you played in, that's all it takes. Now, it also only takes one team to love you. Like we saw with, I mean, Daniel Jones going ahead of Dwayne Haskins is still one of the biggest surprises that I've seen in quite some time. So, no, I don't think... Fields is guaranteed to be a top 10 pick, but he, to me, looks like a top 15 player. And I say that again, I've seen all the 2019, but I haven't seen him play a whole against good defenses without a knee injury. So that's a big thing that I need to see. I don't think he's a lock either. And when you look at that Ohio State offense, I know that Ohio State fans will get pissed off if they listen to this, but it is a different kind of offense. And even when they had Dwayne Haskins, everybody said, look at this offense. This is what it could be in the NFL. Look at what Dwayne Haskins is doing in the NFL. Hasn't been great. Uh, and I know it's early still, but I don't think that Justin Fields is a lock to be a top 10. I, I don't know that he's a lock as quarterback two. I actually have him at quarterback three. I have him quite a ways down on my big board. I do think there are a lot of questions. I think he's a great college football player, but I, I don't see special arm talent there with Justin Fields. I, I think Trevor Lawrence does. And like you mentioned a couple times, Matt, like ball placement issues for both those quarterbacks is a big deal. Trevor Lawrence has a very strong arm, can throw that deep ball very well. Justin Fields, I, I don't know if, if he is the same type of quarterback and it, it sucks. And I think he's weighing his decisions right now because he probably knows he needs another year of film out to prove uh, that with a healthy knee that he can be a top 10 pick. I think he definitely could have used the year, but, but I disagree. I think he's a top 10 pick. I think he, we just saw Justin Herbert go in the top 10. I already like fields better than Justin Herbert. I, I think you look at his, his ceiling, the rate he's growing at, I mean, he was insanely hyped coming out of high school. And I think when he finally got on the field in college, the results, especially when he's healthy, have been really good. Now, you know, like a Herbert and a lot of players like that, I think Wentz had this problem in college too. They, they tend to hold the ball a little long 
and he looks to make plays and, and he can make plays with his feet. But you want to get him, you know, you want to get that processing speed up a little bit more. And I think Trevor Lawrence ha- has had the same problem at times. But I think with the demand for quarterbacks, with that level of talent, mobility, and playmaking ability, I think somebody would definitely take Justin Fields in the top 10. I think it, and it becomes a, a pick versus ranking thing, or like a projection versus ranking thing. Yes, because, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, three quarterbacks in the top 10, yeah, yeah probably pretty good bet on that. I mean, I, I think we ran through it earlier. That could absolutely happen. Uh, I will be surprised if Fields cracks my top 10. I, I mean, looking back at I feel like I've aged into becoming a tougher grader of quarterbacks. And so I don't know that he'll be able to crack the top 10. Like I'm, I feel like I'm trending backward on Trevor Lawrence, you know, and, and with Justin Fields, sure, it's like but he's you still think he he's going early. Yeah. You know what right, I mean? Yeah. Like I'm trending backwards on feel like everyone except Trey Lance, who's kind of just where he is. But I think all three are going in the top 10 picks. I know myself well enough that I won't be surprised if Trey Lance is my first quarterback. <laughs> I think you're just delaying the inevitable. Probably. I just love watching him play. You like, do. I, I talk to you enough on a daily basis, and I can hear the difference when you talk about Trey Lance versus when you talk about <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. So yeah. I like I don't know who you're kidding. Like You like Trey Lance more. That is, yeah. I like watching him play more. Absolutely. And it's still early in the evening. Well, eval. Trevor Lawrence is the safe pick. You know, he has a little more security there. I don't want to go full Colin Cowherd <laughs> right. on you here. But, you know, Trey Lance, he's a little risky. You don't know who he is. And you like the way that makes you feel. I do. You're right. I do. We like that. All right. Last question from one of our favorite people in the world, Adam Heisler. Congratulations on the wedding. Uh, best wishes to you and your lovely new bride. And he's got a question, guys. Who do you want running your offense, but you can't pick Kyle Shanahan or Andy Reid? This is tougher than you think if you take away Kyle Shanahan. Can I have Mike Shanahan? <laughs> like, like, as I was reading the questions, like Andy Reid. Oh, no, Shanahan. Ah, damn it. What's you funny took is both of them. Their offenses are based in, I mean, Bill Walsh. They're both Technically, Bill Walsh, West Coast offenses. So I'm going to cheat, and I hope Heisler allows this. I'm going to take Gary Kubiak, who actually worked under <laughs> Mike Shanahan. But I love that offense. Like, And I'm a Niners fan, and I, I've been a Niners fan since the Bill Walsh era. I love that offense so much. And it's fun to see where it has evolved to, what it's become. I I don't like a lot of the younger you know, like guys who are spreading that offense around the NFL right now, but... Gary Kubiak or Greg Roman would be my picks. See, I like I was watching Hard Knocks the other night, and I've done a heel turn on Sean McVay already. You out? I'm out yeah. on Sean McVay and the Rams. Like, What's the reason? I, I haven't. Well, I'm going to watch. I was thinking tonight, but you could spoil if it's something weird. No, it's just his personality in general, really. Like <laughs> I, I don't know anything about I just don't like his him. family history, but John Gruden is his father. Like You can say whatever you want, and I don't want to, you know— talking his shit on Sean McVay Sr., whoever he is. But that dude is, he's from John Gruden. Like that, <laughs> it happened. Like The way he talks, the way he carries himself. And I do think there are a lot of questions. Can he be successful as an offensive coach? Lit the league on fire his first year. Uh, but can he adjust or are defenses kind of catching up to him and what he's doing? Man, so Chip Kelly also set the league on fire early. Right, we've seen adjust, a lot. So. And then I, I really think that they took a step back last year. That offensive line is going to be terrible. Uh, you lost Todd Gurley. Maybe Cam Akers can come in and be special. But I just don't know if that, that Rams offense is as good as we all thought it was going to be. Connor, when you watch it tonight, I want you to tweet something for me. Watch Anthony Lynn and Sean McVay and tell me which coach you'd rather hang out with. 
<laughs> oh, well, you, you guys know I'm a big Anthony Lynn guy because he was Rex's running backs coach. Yeah, you're going to be an even bigger Anthony Lynn guy after you watch yeah. it. I, I, he's I mean, so he, cool. He's the man, the absolute man. I know I'm going to come away um, only as a bigger Anthony okay, Lynn I, fan. This isn't spoiling anything for you. Anthony Lynn, instead of using like a basting brush to barbecue, wraps a paper towel around a fork with a rubber band. And his wife's like, really? And he's like, that is yeah. the most dad, <laughs> like dad. Of, that is the most dad thing I've heard in a very long Meanwhile, time. Meanwhile, Sean McVay's like, let me take my shirt off and get in the pool. You know, so right. I I will say like, and I love McVeigh. I actually hope the Rams are terrible this year, so he gets fired and the Jets hire him to replace <laughs> Case. Uh, <laughs> in my evil ego brain, uh, like the whole yeah, I don't know. It, I love McVeigh, but I I get what you're saying. There's a little like, has he has he made it yet? Like, is he a guy that it seems like he acts like a made guy? already and like you you don't want the hunger to go away it, right we yep. talk about it with players sometimes it's like does he love being a football coach does he love football or does he love like the attention and being in la like he, he's he's like a reality football coach almost like oh, taking wow. your shirt off getting wow. in the pool i, I can't really believe the heel true. turn on our guy i love sean mcveigh yeah. this is killing me. we shared a bathroom in indianapolis i know it's, it's weird because him and i have that personal relationship what happened in there Did something <laughs> <Right>? wrong? <laughs> it was probably that i towered over him and it's like I, <laughs> yeah. I i can't do this like i'm not a tall guy anyway he missed the urinal and now your favorite right? pair of shoes are ruined <laughs> right he, he his... wasn't even nice though like even when we were washing our hands he's like hey how's it going man he called me man even, like, yeah. like John why Greenwood. Do, yeah. Why do NFL people do that? Like, that's an NFL person thing, like, hey, what's up, brother? Yeah. Hey, man, what's going on? They all do it. All of them. Yeah. Like, How you doing? It's like, all right, relax. Yeah. <laughs> Chill the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, Sean McVay's house versus Cliff Kingsbury's house is like a, a battle that we need to happen, though. You guys I mean, didn't Cliff's even get cooler. to answer the question, by the way, because no, Mello we went we off on his tangent. So <laughs> I almost forgot what it was. I'm not I taking Sean McVay. I'll, I'll cheat as well. I'm going to go Doug Peterson. I, I think that Doug can run a really good offense, and he has. He's won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. He's been a very good offensive coordinator. Uh, I think that he's been a little hamstrung by some receiver talent, but maybe they got it now. Uh, I think that he can run a very successful offense. If I can't take Andy Reid, uh, I'll take Doug Peterson. Man, I, I'm going to take uh, Matt's runner-up and Greg Roman. I, I think he's the most slept-on coach in the entire NFL. And, and you know, as a Greg Roman fan, I hope he gets his shot after this year. And I hope whatever team that is drafts Trey Lance. Because oh, I think that God, is... Yes. That's like the dream scenario for Roman is having a guy that can move and throw like Trey Lance. I think it would be really, really exciting to watch. And you talked about Kubiak, Matt. I mean, I think some people don't even realize Kevin Stefanski might have got that head coach job thanks to Gary Kubiak. Yes. So that's how special of a, a offensive mind and, and mentor he could be. So, uh, wow. I just and I mean, Cliff's our guy. We're a Cliff show. We've made that very clear. Um so it's sorry, Sean McVay. It's you know, I hope you coach my Jets in 2021. Yeah. But um, man, that's uh, where the heel turn has begun. Jesus, I didn't see this coming. <laughs> yeah. I'm like a little, I'm a little thrown off right now. I don't know what to do. I, don't I, know. I can't wait for episode two of Hard Knocks to right. see how I feel. Yeah. I don't know if Mello's ready to say we're a Cliff podcast. Like two thirds of yeah, us, we are. I but... kind of cringed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 
Eh. Oh, yeah, well, like, yeah, I don't know what pod we are. I guess we're an Anthony Lynn pod. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm I good with get that. On board with that. Yeah. <laughs> Cliff is so nice, though. He was, and that's what I was going to say too. Like when we ran into him, I think it was also in Indianapolis. It was. He was a super nice guy, and I was, I was probably the dick in that situation. <laughs> I, I don't know if I did the hook'em horns or not, but I felt it when I yeah. saw him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, congrats, sir, Sean McDermott. He's got locked up six years, right? So a lot of big moves. He's a great football coach. Yeah. Yeah. Great human being. Amazing wrestler. Do not mess with him on the street. Amazing wrestler. People forget that. Yeah. Yeah. He'll suplex your ass. Absolutely will. (laughs) All right. That is our show. It got weird at the end. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back. uh, When will we be back? What's today? We'll be back Tuesday morning. Uh, Jim (laughs) Nagy will be on with us. And uh, hopefully we find out if there's going to be a bubble in Mobile. For Mello and Connor, it's Matt. We'll talk to you guys soon.